0: Meet Lexi. She's dealing with fatigue, so much so that she just can't stay awake. She tried coffee and all types of energy drinks, but was still constantly sleepy, and she was experiencing trouble concentrating from all of the fatigue. After hearing what she's already tried, her doctor recommended Adderall, but Lexi didn't want to experiment with more uppers and wanted to try some natural solutions instead. Energy is a huge issue for so many people, and when I met Lexi, she was excited to find a supplement to help her have more energy. However, in my work, I'm always trying to find the root cause of the issue and not just cover up the symptoms, even if it is with natural things. As I started to get to know Lexi and dig into her lifestyle and health history, I saw that her sleep was also quite off, though she didn't really think much about it. She said that yes, her husband did complain that she snored and she would often fall asleep on the couch and blame the poor sleep on the fact that the couch was just not comfortable and her child was a terrible sleeper and often woke her up. She also never woke up rested in the morning, but in her words, quote unquote, that was the case her whole life. I knew this was key to her energy levels and we needed to explore the underlying sleep issues to solve her mystery. Every year, Thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know, because that was me, before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about Lexi's sleep and energy issues. Joining me on the show today to talk much more about this is Dr. Meghna Dasani. Dr. Dasani is a renowned wellness leader, international speaker, and an obstructive sleep apnea expert. She's also the author of three books and her latest book, Airway is Life, just released this week. So congratulations on that. Dr. Dasani, it is such a pleasure to have you here. Welcome. Thank you so much. I am stoked to be here. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. So sleep issues affect millions in our country, and sleep apnea is one huge reason. When I speak to people about sleep apnea, they say, oh yeah, it's when you snore a lot and have to wear that machine, right? Well, yes, that's partly true, but there's so much
1: more to this. So, what exactly is obstructive sleep apnea? Yeah, I'm so glad you're talking about this because I find um there isn't enough awareness out there still. And today, you know, even within my practice, oh well, even within my family, I'll have folks go, Well, I just snore a little, or I just snore when I'm tired. And what we do not know is that snoring is usually the first sign that something is wrong with that person's sleep, with their breathing, what we call sleep-disordered breathing. Sleep apnea is when we stop breathing, when a person stops breathing for 10 seconds or more multiple times throughout the night. And believe it or not, kids can have sleep apnea too. Kids can have sleep disordered breathing issues as well. No, you don't always outgrow this. And even in adults, the impact that it has on our lives and our health is amazing. People just don't realize it. You have these folks that are at a greater risk for heart attacks, for stroke, Uh, Alzheimer's, there's a direct correlationship to cancers as well. And then what about those folks that are sleepy during the day, right? They're exhausted, they have no energy. Falling asleep at the wheel, that scares me. When I have to be driving next to somebody that may not have gotten the best sleep they needed, the enough hours or the quality of sleep, And those people are just functioning on autopilot. So there's so much more that goes into how these people feel and the impact on their health It's just, it's mind blowing. Oh, wow. It really is.
0: Dr. Zasani, what are some symptoms? I know we mentioned snoring and that's what people say that they just have a little bit, but obviously it's important to know that snoring is one of the symptoms. What are some
1: other symptoms that people can have when they have sleep apnea? Adults, I typically say, we can fit them inside a box, right? Your adult patients that have sleep disordered breathing issues or sleep apnea, for that matter, obstructive sleep apnea, will present with the classic symptoms of snoring. Not uncommon to have a wife dragging their spouse in because he snores and I cannot sleep, dog. Um, That is the most common one. Choking or gasping for breath. When this person is stopping breathing visibly and they are coming up for air, they are trying to get that breath in, that's scary if you've never noticed it or witnessed it. Enough videos on there for people to go, oh my gosh, is this my spouse, my friend, my brother, my loved one, my family member. But um, choking or gasping for breath is another huge one. Excessive daytime sleepiness in a culture that is so, we we make it okay to consume energy drinks and sugary drinks and caffeine and junk food for that instant energy because we got to go, 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 right? This is one I find that gets missed a lot. Excessive daytime sleepiness when you should Be feeling rested, not uncommon to have people that say, well, doc, I sleep seven hours and I'm still tired. I am still falling asleep at the wheel. That should be cause for concern. For sure. I'm so glad you're mentioning that because
0: this was actually one of the issues that Lexi was experiencing. She would sleep seven to eight hours, but she was constantly tired. Thankfully, she wasn't falling asleep on the wheel. She didn't drive that much, but she was falling asleep just sitting in the chair in front of the TV in the afternoon. And that's a big one.
1: Yes. Yes. And it's like you have no energy, right? I know if I were that exhausted I would not want to do anything with my kids. You don't You don't have the motivation or the energy to play with them, to interact with them, to spend quality time with your spouse, your family, doing things outside of work, come home, I'm exhausted, try and sleep. You're not just productive. Now, one thing that was interesting in Lexi's case
0: is that her son was having some sleep issues too. Now, he was very young and... Sleep apnea is not something that she would ever think of, or a conventional doctor would even really talk about either. But you were mentioning that sleep apnea is very common in kids, more common than people realize. Let's talk a little bit about that and some of the symptoms in kids because, as you said, they're very different than the typical adult
1: symptoms, right. Yes, we you know there isn't enough awareness now, you know the classic miscon the misconception that I see people have about sleep apnea is that your classic patient is going to be this adult overweight male, right? It's going to be this big person that has, they're just overweight and they're going to snore. What people don't realize is that anybody could have sleep apnea. It could be your 14-year-old teenager. It could be that 26-year-old slender, active female. It could be your baby. It is not uncommon to see little kids present with these symptoms too. And remember early on, I said, adults we can fit them into a box with their with their symptoms they typically will present with what we talked about you know they'll be tired all day long they'll be falling asleep at the wheel they'll be snoring choking or gasping getting up to use the bathroom multiple times a night with kids though now you could have five different kids that suffer from sleep disordered breathing that are positive for sleep apnea and that aren't breathing right they could have seven different symptoms and they would all be different from each other. And which is where it becomes so hard for parents to say, well, wait, but this kid had that and my my child is different. It again becomes very important. So in kids, what I tell parents is we want to make sure the snoring is always, remember I said, it's one of the first signs. So if you have a child that is a snorer, get that sleep evaluated, talk to the doctors that your child sees, talk to the healthcare providers that are part of their care. It could be their pediatrician, it could be their EMT, it could be their chiropractor, it could be their dentist, it doesn't matter. Make sure you are getting answers for that. So snoring is one. Another more common symptom I see is kids that present with or have been diagnosed with ADD or ADHD.
0: Hmm. The
1: signs and, yeah, the signs and symptoms of a child that is sleep deprived are the exact same as that of a child that has ADHD. So I always tell parents, you know, when I see kids within my practice and I see this as being something that the parents report, whether the child has been diagnosed or is taking medications, get their sleep evaluated. Because there are studies out there that show you know when we when they addressed uh, they took a group of kids um, that had the diagnosis and they addressed their sleep issues, they made sure they were getting quality sleep, About fifty percent of those kids were able to get off of the medications. That's huge. Wow, that's amazing. That's huge. Yes. I tell parents this all the time. If they need the medication, they need it. Absolutely. But let's take this out of the equation. Let's make sure they're getting not just enough hours of sleep, but enough good quality sleep as well. Once this is sorted out, if they still need it, they need it. We're going to give their bodies what it needs, but we need to make sure we are actively addressing this issue if that is contributing to it. Yeah. So any other symptoms in kids that are different than adults? Yes. Kids, bedwetting is a big one. And I'm not talking of your two-year-old that has regressed potty training. It is not uncommon for me within the practice to see older kids that are still wetting their bed. We're talking seven, eight, 10-year-olds, teenagers, we have a 16-year-old in the practice that still wets their bed. Now, you know this is not because that child is too lazy or they had too much water to drink before they went to bed or whatever it may be. And we also know that the mom and the children have, they've done everything they possibly could, right? These are kids that are motivated. They, they, nobody enjoys this. The embarrassment, the stigma. Think about what it does for the social aspect for this child. Of course. It means no sleepovers, no camp. They're embarrassed to spend the night or have folks spend the night at their house, right? And that's where we want to make sure we're we're kind of tying this in. I'm fond of saying we want to be able to connect the dots for these parents, for these children. Help them navigate what it is that possibly could be going on. And sleep plays a bigger role, or lack of sleep, I should say, quality sleep, plays a much bigger role than we even realize. So bed vetting, I find, is a big one when we don't have answers and the parents have done everything they possibly could. You know, they have a clean diet, They've seen all their specialists, gotten multiple consults. Nothing is wrong. Thank God, right? Yeah. They are not drinking five gallons of water before bed. They're doing everything they need to do, but they still continue to wet the bed, have accidents, get their sleep evaluated. You might be surprised as to what you find. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mouth breathing is another big one that I see with these kids. And that's really common with kids, isn't it, in general? Yes. Yes, it is. We're not supposed to breathe through our mouths. We forget sometimes. Yes, when you're stuffy, you have a cold, and until you get over it, a day, couple of days, I understand. We compensate. But in this case, when I say mouth breathing, I'm talking of a child that has that classic open mouth posture, They're sitting there with their mouth open, uh, reading a book. It could be watching a TV show, playing on their phone or their games or whatever it is that the kids play with these days. These are kids that cannot seem to breathe through their nose with their lips together because our classic oral, the rest posture that we have, we should be having is lips together, breathing through the nose and tongue resting passively in the roof of the mouth. When all of this doesn't happen, that child is sitting there with their mouth open, again, that's air that needs to go through their nose, get filtered, humidified, warmed, before it goes to the lungs, that isn't happening. Because now these children are breathing through their mouth. We also see these kids tend to be more prone to getting sick. So do you have a child that is constantly sick? Do you have a child that has constant ear infections? Mm. All this connects to how this child is breathing and sleeping.
0: Hmm. And that really makes sense because, as you said, if they're breathing through their mouth, the air is not getting filtered, humidified, right? So there's more raw air going in through. And then, of course, the importance of sleep for our immune system. So it's kind of a double whammy there.
1: Correct. Correct. And guess who gets roped into filtering this air now? The tonsils. Uh, The tonsils get roped into collecting that bacteria that the air carries naturally, right? Right. But the tonsils are not made for that. Mm. But it's like, hello, you're thrown in here at sink or swim tonsils. And <laughs> <laughs> the tonsils work as hard as they can to get that air as clean as they possibly can. They respond by getting enlarged because now more is needed because that's all we're doing when that child is breathing.
0: Oh, wow. So now
1: those tonsils are getting enlarged. And it's what we call kissing tonsils. They get because our kids are teeny tiny. And when those tonsils grow, they start to touch or get super close to each other in the back of their throat. What did this just create? It created an obstruction, Mm. which again now is blocking enough air from getting it to where we need it to go. So one thing leads to another, and at some point, it needs to be evaluated, screened, and that cycle needs to be broken for that child to be able to get them to start breathing, really. Oh, yeah. And what do you think of some underlying causes of sleep apnea? I
0: mean, I know you mentioned that just breathing through your mouth is one, but is there something
1: that will precede that or are there other underlying causes that you think are important? Certainly. So obesity is one. When we carry a lot of weight around our necks, if we're overweight, all of that tissue has to go somewhere when we lay down, when a person lays down, right? When we're sleeping on our backs and when we sleep on our backs, gravity pulls everything back and that causes a physical obstruction. Genetics plays a role as well. A third thing that I have found that plays a big role is the shape of the jaws in obstructive sleep apnea. So when a person has a narrow jaw, and again, this ties into, you know, right from childhood, when, when a person, when a child has either a tongue tie where the tongue is tied tight to the floor of the mouth. And remember I said our resting oral posture needs to be tongue resting passively in the roof of the mouth. The tongue acts as a natural expander and as a natural retainer. And when it is unable to do that job and the child is growing, the tongue is unable to sit there or If the child sucks on, you know, if they're a thumbsucker or prolonged uh, pacifier use or baby bottle use, all of those play a role as well. But um, when that happens, when that tongue is unable to sit there or genetically, that child, that person has narrow upper jaw, it's important to remember that the roof of the mouth is also the floor of the nose. So if you were to to have your palm form a little U-shape with your knuckles facing up, your palm itself is the roof of your mouth. And the other side of your hand is the floor of your nose. When it's narrow, you have less space in your nose in the upper airway. When we have a wide U-shaped palate, It automatically creates more room in the nose. So, just how the jaw, the the structures of the jaw develop and grow, can also impact that. So there's so much more that goes into it. That is so interesting. that's <laughs> yes. really fascinating.
0: And actually I see a cranial sacral specialist. I've been seeing one myself just for tune-ups and I've taken both of my kids there. And she always says that it's really good to do a session after the baby's born just to help with birth trauma and things like that. Yes. She works in the mouth as well as, you know, everything else. And I remember I took my baby Juliet there a couple of months back when she was born and you know she checked she said no tongue tie and then she said oh oh, you know the roof of the mouth looks good and like the inside looks good and I didn't really understand exactly what that meant I'm (laughs) like okay it's good I'm glad to hear it but I'm connecting it now as I'm talking to you because she was probably measuring and you know
1: specifically looking
0: for that yes
1: so all of these things play a role in how our airways grow and develop while we are growing And if any or all or some of these issues are not brought to the forefront, not addressed, nothing's been done, well, guess what? That child grows up into an adult. And with adulthood comes its own sets of, we're busy working, it's easier to reach for fast food. We tend to gain weight as we grow older and all of that just contributes. And then you have this, like just yesterday, I had a friend reach out to me She was like, I don't know what happened, but my husband just started snoring. Fix him. I was like, well, let's back up here. (laughs) Let's, Let's kind of see what needs to be done and what's going on. Because the longer we leave all this unaddressed, the more health issues we're putting our families and our loved ones at a risk for. I mean, isn't it, don't we hear so much more of health issues in kids than we used to? Uh, The obesity plays such a big role in it, the diet, Uh, kids don't get out as much. And it's not uncommon to, even for me within the practice, to see kids come in with, they're taking medications for diabetes and high blood pressure and cardiac issues. And these are young, young kids. So the sooner we can um, get that addressed, we can hopefully help them get to being healthier adults as well. Yeah, for sure. Now, how is this
0: diagnosed? Is it similar um, in kids and adults, or are there different types of sleep studies that are done with both?
1: So for kids, I always recommend that they go to a, a sleep lab that is attached to a hospital. Their studies have to be scored a little bit differently, and I find, at least you know where we're at, that that works best. I always recommend getting the sleep study done in the lab for an in-lab sleep study, more data that we get out of it. But uh, there are some home sleep tests that could also be used. But for the most part, I usually, I tell, par- I tell um, patients, parents, it's best to go to the sleep lab and have, it, have that sleep study done. Okay.
0: And once someone has a sleep study, is it something where there's degrees of sleep apnea or is it something where it's like you have it or you don't?
1: So, sleep apnea is one where if you have it, you have it. But uh, yes, there is a degree of severity as well. So, what we need is once that patient has, once a person has a sleep study done, it's scored or read or diagnosed by an MD, a sleep MD. And based on the numbers, That the sleep study comes back with, you know, how many times that person is stopping breathing for how long are they stopping breathing? How are their oxygen levels being impacted? How low is their oxygen dropping for how long does the position in which they're sleeping impact that in any way at all? What stage of sleep are they in? And does that impact their, you know, their breathing and the oxygen levels? So much more goes into it. And based on all of those things, basically, there is a severity scale as well. You know, you could have mild, moderate, or severe sleep apnea. For adults, typically, that number needs to be below a 5 to be considered normal, which means that person is stopping breathing five times in an hour for every hour that they're sleeping for that 10 seconds or longer for kids. That is one. And I tell every parent this or every person that I see, it's like a lot of times just the once is enough. I mean, what is the damage that is happening with how long you're stopping breathing and how low those oxygen levels are dropping So, yes, there is a severity scale. Again, um, and I may be jumping ahead, but just because we're talking of severity, you know, the CPAP is the gold standard for treating sleep apnea, especially in adults. There are a lot of um, patients that I see within my practice that, for whatever reason, are unable to use the CPAP. You know, they can't tolerate it. They are claustrophobic or whatever the reason may be. And I always encourage patients, You, it is a gold standard. You want to make sure you, you at least try to use it. Yeah. And Dr. Dasani, just in case hey, someone may not be familiar, can you just tell us what exactly is a CPAP in case someone may not know? Oh, absolutely. So CPAP stands for Continuous Positive Air Pressure. It is a machine, for lack of a better word, that is portable, usually sits on your nightstand. And it has a mask that goes over your nose and mouth and a little hose that connects that mask to the machine. So what it is doing is it is pushing air into your nose. Basically, you are breathing. Um, It's making sure the air goes in while you're sleeping. So if you're stopping breathing, your body is still getting that oxygen that it needs. So that is a CPAP. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said, there are patients that are unable to use it, unable to tolerate it for whatever reason.
0: I hear that a lot from people.
1: In which case, their dentist can help. So what the dentist can do for adults that have obstructive sleep apnea is make them an oral appliance. And what this is doing is it holds that lower jaw forward. It prevents the tongue and the jaw from falling back when they're sleeping, which is what's obstructing the airway and holding that airway open. Mm. So this
0: would be different than
1: a mouth guard, right? Or is that the same thing? It looks like a mouth guard, but it's not the mouth guard that, you know, folks generally tend to think for, oh, because I'm grinding my teeth. Mm-hmm. So this is made, it's custom made, and it's made to for each patient to where does your jaw need to be. So dentists do have to get, you know, we do get trained for this. We have to get adequate training knowledge as to um, what is going to benefit the patient and what position that appliance needs to be, where do we want their jaw to be, and how to follow up, like what follow-ups? What are we looking for? How are we making sure it's working for that patient? That is how we would help our dog patients. Now in children, we can actually use their growth spurts and we can impact the direction, the dimensions of their jaw while they're still growing. And it's it can be done with different... Tools that basically we have to be able to do this for the kids. It could be with appliances. It could be with expanders. If that child has a tongue tie, maybe that needs to be addressed. Working with an osteopath or a craniofacial specialist or um, a myofunctional therapist even. So which is why for kids we need a team. We need to make sure that we are... We're figuring out, we are identifying what it is that the child needs so we can, as I said earlier, connect the dots to help them get the help that they need.
0: Mm, And that's so good to know that you can use their growth spurts and there's things that they can do. So it's not one of those things where, okay, you have this and eventually you have to use
1: the machine. There's things that you could do now. Can you imagine kids using that machine? It's no, (laughs) yeah, it, yeah, it never works out the way we want it to besides it also, uh, you know, because of how tight that has to be tied around their faces, we want these kids to sleep the 10, 12 hours based on their age. It, it does impact growth in a negative way. So with kids, we have the luxury of let's grow and use your growth spurts to, to direct growth the way we need your body needs it.
0: Now, with kids, if it's not genetic, where their jaws just narrow from the genes, but if it's something in the way that maybe their head shape, you know, or how things formed, and like you said, you could use those expanders. But is there anything that could be done to prevent that from happening when they're very little?
1: Oh, when they're very little, yeah. So basically, like I said, you know, making sure that we're breaking habits sooner rather than later. So if you have a child that uses a pacifier or sucks their thumb. Um, because when we have, I'm going to use the example of the thumb, right? Or, or the pacifier. When that sits between the tongue and the roof of the mouth, and then the child exerts that sucking force, again, that's molding and reshaping their bones as that constant continuous force is being applied. So weaning the child off of their pacifiers, weaning them, you know, training them not to suck their thumb, um, taking away the baby bottle if we can as early as possible. And how early? I'm a fan of six months. I'm asking for myself right now. Yes. (laughs) At six months. And I always encourage moms to nurse. um, And if, you know, that is not a preference. if that is something that the mom prefers not to for whatever reason and no judgment there, as soon as the child can um, sit up, so which is, you know, around six months is when I say, use the the 360 cup or try to train the child to drink out of a cup. That way they're not too, too attached to those um, sippy cups and the cups with the spouts or the bottles with the nipples, which again just contributes to it. But for sure, we want that pacifier gone by six months. Interesting. Yeah, because depending on who you
0: ask, I remember my son had it for a little while. He was grinding his teeth. So this was almost like a, a thing that you know would help. And I was very concerned about it. And the pediatric dentist that we saw, he said, oh, as long as it's out by two, it's okay. And I was like, oh, I feel better. But somehow- I knew that, well, it still can't be good at two, (laughs) but they seemed okay with it. So I'm glad that you're saying that because I think that it's, again, not talked about as much as it's needed.
1: You know, things are still always changing, right? The more research we're doing, there's more awareness about this. So it is so dynamic. Like we get new information every day. And it's funny you mentioned too, because I have two girls both of my daughters well they were off the bottle by about 9 months but held on to their pacifiers for the longest time and i know one one of my daughters was almost until 2 and now i look back and i was i'm horrified <laughs> <laughs> but it's you do what you do what you know best at that time and Which is why it's so important for us to raise awareness, to put this information out there for parents.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, do you have any tricks to help kids, you know, older kids, you know, say like four and older, to breathe through their nose? You know, let's say that you are watching them and they're on their iPad or watching a video and their mouth is open. Do you tell them to close it? Do you kind of prop it? Or like, what do you do to help them breathe through their nose?
1: So I... You know, I tell moms this make sure they can breathe through their nose. We forget that we form these habits because partly because they're unable to breathe through their nose. So, um, addressing allergies is a big one. If there's any inflammation in their bodies, we want to make sure we're addressing that, which is where working with your ENTs comes in. And I love my ENT. Um, But making sure we are communicating with them, patients, our parents are communicating with them. It's like, hey, what's going on? Sometimes allergies need to be addressed. Is there an underlying food sensitivity? Dairy produces mucus and i always just today i saw a patient and that was one of the first things i told mom i said let's get you working and she luckily she's one that's super motivated she's like we just started with the nutritionist and i'm going to make sure she you know whatever their doctors are saying but uh, step one start with can they breathe through their nose is something causing all that allergy inflammation that may be giving them stuffy nose. So addressing allergies is key. And, um, you know, reminding them to close their mouth is good, but if they're not going to be able to breathe through their nose, they're not going to do it. Right. That makes sense.
0: Now, once people are diagnosed and they are working on a lot of the things that you mentioned, you know, a healthy diet, avoiding their food sensitivities, uh, better habits, losing weight, is this something that could be stopped or reversed?
1: With sleep apnea, you mean? Mhm. Yes. So with adults, the losing weight again it depends on the severity, what is causing it, you know, where your oxygen levels fall. There's so much that goes into it. Um, I tell patients this, you never want to stop or discontinue anything unless your doctors tell you to. So if you are feeling Amazing with whatever treatment modalities that you're using to address it, be it your CPAP, be it an oral appliance, you have to make sure you use it because that is what is keeping things manageable. With kids, though, we have a different perspective there. With kids, based on their growth spurts, we're we're widening their airways, right? We're growing them. So with kids, we tend to see much more results where. Once we get that airway to where it is able to sustain their oxygen levels, they're breathing better, their brain is getting the oxygen it needs, then we're able to just keep them in that position because growth ends there for them. Mm, So for kids, we have more control. But adults, like for example, we had this lady in the practice that- We've seen her for years and her husband always says, you know, that she snores. She's always tired. And finally, I must have said something one day. I don't know what struck with her. She's like, you know what, doc, you've said this for so long. I think I'm ready. I'm tired of being tired. I am ready to do something about this. And sure enough, you know, we had her go try the CPAP. She's like, oh, there's no way I can do this. So we made her an appliance. A year later. She is 80 pounds lighter. She feels amazing. Wow. Because she's like, well, now I have the energy to work out. I was like, of course, because you were tired. I can't tell you to go lift weights, run, go for a walk, cycle, no matter what. If you're exhausted, you just don't have the motivation. And she feels amazing. She looks amazing. Her health is like, she she's just a whole different person. And she never wants to go anywhere without that appliance because it makes her feel so good. So, is she going to be able to ever go without it? I tell her realistically, no. This is something that is helping you manage, keep your body where it needs to be. But she's like, I don't want to go without it because I feel amazing with it. So, it just depends on the individual situation. Um, but just some of the stories is, that you hear are just feel it it's like okay we're doing something we're helping people mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely.
0: And it's great to know that with kids, it's something that you could work on. And if you catch it early enough, they won't need it. And with adults, even though, yes, you have to wear something every day, it's something that is helping you tremendously. So at the end of the day- It is all worth
1: it. Yeah, Much better than not. Yes, oxygen, literally. And which is what prompted the title of the book, "To Airway is Life, because it truly, it does change your life. How you feel, just your brain getting the oxygen it needs- your body healing, your brain healing, neurotransmitters replenishing, things fall into place. So you do feel a
0: lot better. And, you know, if someone is already an adult and they have sleep apnea and it's not addressed, what are some of the long-term risks of that?
1: You know, these are patients that we see that um, tend to have high blood pressure These are folks that are on multiple doses of multiple drugs to help control these issues because just the one drug isn't cutting it. Their body just is working harder. These are patients that are more prone to have diabetes, higher risk for strokes, higher risk for heart attacks, Alzheimer's, getting into REM sleep clears away all the toxins in the brain, which we know are connected to Alzheimer's. So when a patient, when a person does not get enough quality sleep prolonged over time, we just, they're at a higher risk for dementia, Alzheimer's. Mm, Okay. I knew that that was the risk, but I didn't know why. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because that beta amyloid that collects in the brain Isn't the only time it's flushed out your body's able to is when you're getting into deeper stages of sleep and actually staying there. If you're stopping breathing and your brain has to wake you up because, you know, you might you stop breathing long enough to where you don't wake up. Your brain has to constantly wake you up. Well, you're not spending enough time in those deeper stages of sleep for your brain to clear all that out effectively. Mm. And which is why we tend to see the early onset Alzheimer's. It's so interesting to learn more
0: about this and, you know, even more so, like you said, to really bring awareness to the fact that this can happen very early on. But the good news is that something could be done for both children and adults and even more so in kids. If we correct it now, when we find it now, there's a lesser chance that they're going to have to deal with this when they become adults, which is amazing. Yes, Yes. I'm so excited for your book um, and for everyone listening. Airways Life just came out this week. So Dr. Dasani, as we wrap up here, what would you say is your biggest piece of advice for those that may be just starting this journey with sleep issues?
1: Um, First off, thank you so much for having me and for helping spread the message. Super, super important. And I know you and I have talked and thank you for spreading that message. Um, as for you know uh, messages for parents or patients or whoever's listening is ask questions. If you are not satisfied or with the answer or you know that there is something more, ask ask another provider. talk to all your doctors because you never know who might be able to connect the dots and sometimes that's all that is needed is the one thing to set that spark which literally could save your life ask questions
0: i love that and that is very much something I talk about as well. So we're very in sync there, you know, and a lot of what I discuss on the show is that there are answers and there is hope and it's just about finding what that is for you. But there's so many different angles that things can be addressed from and asking those
1: questions is so important. And Dr. Dasani, for those that want to connect with you, where can they find you? Um, my website is magnadasani.com. Tons of information there for parents we have a contact us form there. I am happy to answer questions for those that uh, might be looking for answers. There is a ton of information there. Wonderful. Thank you so much.
0: And I'm going to post all of this in the show notes. So for everyone listening, you can see that there. Dr. Dasani, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. And we will talk soon. Thank you. Approximately 5.9 million people in the U.S. alone are diagnosed with obstructive sleep apnea, yet a staggering 23.5 million are living with undiagnosed cases of moderate to severe sleep apnea. I've worked with Lexi's doctor, and we recommended a sleep study, which showed that she did in fact have sleep apnea. As she started to support that, we talked more about her child and saw signs like open mouth breathing and congestion on top of the poor sleep. Lexi didn't realize that kids can also have sleep apnea, and I referred her to an integrative pediatric dentist in her area that was able to evaluate it further and work with her child. On the nutrition front, both she and her little guy were eating a ton of dairy. Being that dairy is very mucus-producing, it can often contribute to congestion, and removing that from both of their diets was a great help, especially for her son, who was able to breathe much easier without it. Mouth breathing is often a learned behavior, and not being able to actually breathe through the nose is going to create that. While in some cases, of course, it can be due to structural things, many other cases could be due to congestion that's often created by foods, dairy being one of them. Once someone is then able to breathe through the nose more comfortably, it is then all about practice to breathe that way, and then the body can be retrained. As Dr. Dasani explained, there are many things that could be done when it comes to sleep apnea, and especially in children, catching it early and supporting it properly can fix it so that they may not need a CPAP machine down the line, which I think is amazing. If you or someone you know is having issues with sleep or extreme fatigue, please look into sleep apnea. Also, if you have a child that has sleep troubles or you're noticing mouth breathing and perhaps your child is dealing with things like ADD or ADHD, it is also important to rule out pediatric sleep apnea. If Lexi and her son sound like someone you know, please share this episode with them. And if you could do me a favor, subscribe to the show. This way, you never miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the show, I would love it if you can leave us a review the reviews really helped to move the podcast up in the ranks so that more people could see that the answers are out there and there really is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you on the next episode of Health Mystery Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.